We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Special Tuesday afternoon edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast presented by WinBet. Check out winbet.com. I'm joined by James Anderson, Roadwire's own, uh, the patron saint of LJ's Pub in downtown Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, is, is that where you'll end up for game six of Buck Suns tonight, James? Um, I'm not sure. I might, might actually just watch it at home. Um, we'll see. I, you know, it would obviously be fun to watch it with a bunch of people, but. Um, you know, TBD on that, but I mean, it's, it's going to be a blast. It was, it was a ton of fun, uh, watching it there on Saturday. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you can feel it, man. It's so close. You can feel it. <laughs> well, where do you, where do you tend to want to watch a game like this? Like a Packers Super Bowl or a Brewers NLCS game? Like, do you, do you want to be at a pack bar? Do you want to be by yourself so you can kind of really get into it, hear everything? Like what, what's your preference? Um, I, I like being around a bunch of people. I mean, I, I don't, I don't live and die with any team to the point where I need to be in like a secluded area or anything like that. <laughs> like for safety um, reasons. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, I don't care about hearing the broadcast either. So like, that's not really a factor, um, mm-hmm. but it's just more about like, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be at a bar for, cause like you got to get there like an hour early just to get a decent spot at least, and so, yeah. then, so then you're there for like three and a half hours and then you're spending like you know a lot of money just to kind of watch watch a game um you know so it, it's there's a lot of pros and cons of being out or being in but um you know i think it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast either way so i, I was at a wedding reception for game five the other night luckily i brought my own tv from milwaukee the reception was in southern wisconsin um and i was able to set that up on the side and, and by the end of the night like pretty much everybody was watching it so it worked out fine but i will say like i i typically don't mind just watching without the sound like if you're at a bar the sound's on but you can barely hear it anyway it's all it's either like too loud or muffled by people talking whatever but going back and watching some of those late game highlights like with the call, it's so much better. Like I was basically watching it in silence, you know, as, as Holiday rips the ball away from Booker and throws the oop. Like you do kind of miss out on that, but but obviously the atmosphere with, with having a ton of people around is is hard to replicate. Um, what is your read on Game Six? We have about eight hours as we record uh, on on Tuesday afternoon before that game tips off. It, obviously, you're as familiar with the history of Wisconsin sports, uh, roping in the Brewers and the Packers and the Badgers. You're as familiar with that as I am. I feel like there's a general hesitancy by Wisconsin fans to to buy in, but you're one of the best, you know, in, in our office at looking at things completely objectively, you know, not taking into account your own feelings or, or the feelings of your friends or, or people that you listen to. What is your read on, on how this game is going to play out in Milwaukee tonight? 
Well, if you tell me how many minutes Jeff Teague's going to play, I can tell you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, well, is, is there like a golden spot, like other than zero minutes, where it's like, okay, if he exceeds six minutes, the Bucks automatically lose? Um, yeah, I mean, I, that, that sounds about right. Uh, I think anything over six and it's an automatic L. Um, no, I mean, I, I think uh, I think they're probably like 65% favorites tonight. Um you know, it's it's uh, the home court advantage is is definitely real. Uh, you know, the Suns obviously have a, a great home court too. So, um, you know, I think everyone on the team is going to sort of understand the importance of of this game. And um, I think the I think the Bucks have really like the the Suns have a maybe a few counters that they could try. Um, you know, I, I've heard, uh, I think it was uh, Tim Legler made the, a great point about how they should stop asking Chris Paul to be the one that brings the ball up and gets pressed by Drew Holiday on every possession because then he's just gassed by the time uh, it's time to actually shoot or pass um, at the end of the clock. But, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a ton besides that, that the Suns can really counter to or, or pivot to. So I think if, this, if the, the Bucks were to lose this game, it would be the product of them just not hitting shots or just kind of folding. Like if it's, if it's really close in the final three minutes, um, you know, I think, I think Chris Middleton's been hitting shots. That you, you just can't expect him to like keep hitting those shots in in huge moments at the end of games like he, he's going to hit some but you know in some of these games he, he's like shooting over 50 percent in the final three minutes on really well contested shots so I, I just I think that that could be a, a danger zone for the Bucks, but I I could see I could see them winning by by double digits honestly I mean like I think that the, the Bucks have just really kind of worn them down physically um the Suns lack of size up up front has really become a, a big issue for them where they're just, they're really getting bludgeoned. They're getting into foul trouble. They're, you know, they're, they're fouling basically on like every play and it's just a matter yeah. of whether the, the refs call it. So I, I just think there's a, there's a ton of advantages in the, the Bucks favor right now. Um, and you, the only real way I, I could see them losing is if, if the Suns just shoot it way better than they do from three. Mm-hmm. Game five to me, felt like the inverse. I think it was game one where the Bucks hit 16 threes and still lost the game. And, and Phoenix played a lot better in game five than the Bucks did in game one. There were a lot of other issues for Milwaukee uh, in that game, but it, it, it kind of felt like the inverse of that in that, you know, Phoenix played pretty much maybe not its best game, but about as well as it could have. I mean, when you're shooting 55% as a team, you're 68% from three, you're 10 of 11 at the line. Obviously you'd like more attempts, but percentage wise, that's great. Um, only had eight turnovers. Like it, it normally when you meet those benchmarks, you win that game well, like 95 out of a hundred times and they didn't. And it, it felt like, it feels like that's the position that Milwaukee's been in where they've lost a couple of games throughout these playoffs where you're like, man, that, that, that really hurts to lose that game because they used up one of their good games, quote unquote. Um, so it feels like they have a little bit of house money kind of to play with because they were able to pull out a game where, where the other team played well enough to win. Obviously you're coming back home. That certainly should help as well. But I, you said you wouldn't be surprised if it's a bro, if it's a blowout. Did I hear that correctly? Um, I mean, a blowout maybe by, I mean, I, like I could see the Bucks winning by, by like ten to fifteen points. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would be fairly surprised by that result. But I also think, you know, there's a chance that Milwaukee could jump out early, and if they if they kind of pick up where they left off in the last game, and we get good Drew Holiday, you know, if if that Drew Holiday shows up again you don't even need this virtuoso game from Giannis or Middleton to win. And and if they are hitting shots early and the crowd gets behind them, it, it is easy to kind of see how that could cascade. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect though, whatsoever. I, I think the Chris Paul factor, I don't even want to discuss if he's hurt or not. I don't, I don't think he is. I mean, he was three of three from deep. He had made some huge plays down the stretch that kept the Suns in that game in game five. I mean, if he is hurt, he's playing well enough that it really shouldn't really shouldn't matter. He was 21 and 11 uh, to finish that game in 35 minutes. I, I I just don't know where this goes for Chris Paul. Like, do you, do you feel like he either has a great game and like saves his legacy for another two days, or he has a terrible game? Like, is it possible that he comes in somewhere in the middle? 
Um, you know, that's, that's certainly a huge factor in this game is just sort of what type of game they get from Chris Paul. Uh, I, you know, the, I just think it's, it's, um, kind of as simple as just looking at the physical and like biographical stuff that we're talking about with Chris Paul and Drew Holiday and, um, you know, most point guards that are Chris Paul's age have been retired for like three years. And mm-hmm. so like, he's, he's one of the shortest guys, smallest guys on the court anyway. He's like, um, just way smaller than Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday's in his physical prime and Chris Paul's, you know, he's, he's still incredibly smart, but, um, the Bucks have kind of figured out exactly what he's trying to do on all these pick and rolls and they are forcing, um, forcing him into like his third and fourth options. And uh, when you're his size and, you know, you kind of have the lack of, um, you know, high end athleticism and you're, you're dealing with Giannis and Brooke in front of you and Drew Holiday, like to the side of you or behind you, it's really not that difficult to see why he's, he's having trouble, especially when, mm. Um, there's just such a huge burden on him because they the Suns only have these two guys that can do anything off the dribble. And so I, I just I think we're going to see kind of more of the same, more, more of the same version of Chris Paul we've seen these last three games, basically. Um, it would take like and it's not like it's not like he's even been like missing a ton of shots. Right. Like, right. It's not like he can just become like a way better shooter in this game. Like I think he's been hitting shots at, at about the clip you'd expect him to but um you know i think these these turnovers to me they're kind of just sort of like um a guy that's that's just kind of out of gas and doesn't have the you know he's just really kind of getting run into the ground um and I, I don't really see any reason for that not to continue that is a good point about the way that chris paul has relatively struggled because again when he's coming off of a 21 and 11 even in a loss, like it's not like he just no showed this game or, or had a terrible game. But I, I think game four is the one that that really stuck out where you just forgot he was on the floor at times. I mean, he's he's standing in the corner, like waving off the pass to him. Like, no, I don't want it. You know, like, I, I don't know if he was tired. I don't know if he was injured, whatever. But, you know, like you said, it's not like he had a game where you'd almost rather he went five of 25 from the field and oh of eight from three. And just like, you know, was being aggressive, look like himself, but the shots weren't going down. Like if there's anything that's concerning, it's that he's been more passive than quote unquote, like bad, you know, it's not, he hasn't been bad. He's just, just hasn't really done a whole lot. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, he, he's still really good, but he's not, he's not second best player on a championship winning team level. Good right now. Not right and now. He's, no. And he's also like defensively, he's kind of a shell of himself, right? Like he, he's not, <clears throat> he used to be this guy that was like all defense. Um, but he doesn't really have a ton of stuff he can do on that end anymore to impact the game. Um, so it's just, there's a lot on Devin Booker's shoulders and uh, he's been excellent. I mean, he's just played out of his mind given the amount of stuff that, that he has to do for that Suns team. But, you know, we, we're also seeing Devin Booker in games uh, four and five, like shooting incredibly well on difficult attempts and you know can you imagine what it would look like if Devin Booker just shot like 40 percent from the field tonight you know right. like I mean that, that they would just be dead in the water there was a point during game five where these teams scored on 13 consecutive possessions if you were watching you probably remember I think it was late second quarter when it was like Booker was just trading mid-range extremely contested mid-rangers with with Middleton for a while and you know, that resulted in, in in Milwaukee, you know, somewhat being able to pull away after that. It's like Booker was kind of hanging in there and, 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 you know, keeping the game close. And then finally, you know, he, he started to slow down a little bit, still finished with, you know, an, an incredible 40 point game, uh, 17 of 33, you'll take that. But, you know, I, I keep going back to, you know, we're, we're talking about what's wrong with Chris Paul. Like we're like a week and a half removed from him opening this series with a 32 and nine game and then following up with 23 and eight, you know, in a relatively easy game two victory. So I, I don't know what happened between games two and three. You know, they open with PJ Tucker guarding Chris Paul. I, I think the goal is, you know, we'll put some more physicality, some more size on him. We'll rough him up a little bit. 
that ended disastrously. And, and obviously, Drew Holiday has been able to slow him down uh, a lot more than Tucker was. So, you know, credit to, to Bud and the Bucks for the adjustment. But I, I feel like this narrative has emerged that, like, oh, the Bucks have figured out the Suns. I, yeah, they've won the last three games, but it also feels like the last two especially could have gone either way if the ball bounces a little bit differently down the stretch. Like, I I, I, I think there's reason to be confident if you're a Bucks fan or if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I get why they're favored by five at home tonight, but I wouldn't go as far as to say they figured out the Suns. I think they've made more clutch plays at the end, but they were also down 17 points early in game five. Like, I, I don't... I don't know that it's going to be a, a relative cakewalk for Milwaukee tonight whatsoever. Well, if you like think about the, the Bucks um, sort of strategy with Kevin Durant in that Nets series mm-hmm. where like they couldn't stop him, but they just kept like beating him up and like, you know, just by virtue of the way they were playing him and defending him. And, and that was PJ Tucker, obviously, but, um, like he was just inevitably going to show some signs of wearing down at some point, or at least that was sort of their bet. And that ended up happening on that, that last play. Um, and I think that that's sort of been their bet with Chris Paul in this series, just like, you know, he's good. He got off early in the series, but like, if you just keep, eventually you're just going to bet on his age kind of showing through and his physical disadvantages, uh, showing through. And so I think that they're just kind of trying to win this um, by outlasting uh, the Suns' top two guys. And right. uh, I think you, you have to just give a ton of credit to Drew Paul and Chris Middleton specifically um, for how many minutes they've played and how they have not crumbled in those final minutes even with playing 40 plus minutes and just really intense minutes in all these games, like to have the energy at the end to, to make some of the plays that they're making. Um, I think that's, that's, that was kind of the difference, at least in game five. And I don't think that changes the workload tonight at all. I mean, Chris Middleton played 44 minutes in game five, holiday 42, Giannis 41. I, I think they're a little more careful with Giannis just because they kind of have to be like, I mean, he's taken himself out of some of these games, early on and, and at times of the second half just to catch his breath. So I don't, I don't think he plays like all 48, but I mean, Middleton and holiday it's, you know, we're, we're winning this game. We're doing whatever it takes. I, I think you're minimizing the breaks for those guys. I wouldn't be surprised if they just go with the straight up seven man rotation, which is basically what they're doing. But if you could cut the Teague minutes from like eight to two, where he's maybe just giving you like that last minute or minute, minute and a half of the first half, you know, if, if you have maybe holiday has two or three fouls, you're just trying to avoid, something disastrous like that that to me is Jeff Teague's role I didn't want to make this a Jeff Teague pod but you look at the plus minus from, from last game Jeff Teague seven minutes and th- or seven minutes and 33 seconds played minus 11 in that time yeah and I mean I I get uh you know on the one hand I understand like it, it does sort of feel like they need just seven extra minutes from some guard-sized player in order right. to kind of make the math work, but um, I would just try to, I would just try to make it so that you don't like you give maybe play some bigger lineups and give those minutes to Porter, um, give Pat Connaughton like three extra minutes, give Drew like two extra minutes, and I think you're there. Um, it's just whatever. Teague is supposed to be bringing when he's out there he's he's not bringing it like it like when he was out there every single time down the Suns were just scoring on yeah. him and so well what, what is he I, supposed to bring exactly that's a good point like I, in, the, I, in theory what is he bringing I think in theory he is just taking the over for Drew Holiday as the guy who's like pressing um Chris Paul and like they obviously like Bryn Forbes can't do that role. Like Teague's, Teague's obviously not out there for his his offense or anything like that. Um, I think he's just out there for his size and like just make like make life difficult on Chris Paul like for the full court. Uh, but it's that's just he's not good enough defensively to to do that. He's just a walking target, and um, I just think you can't. You can't give the Suns somewhere that easy to attack mm. uh, because, like, they, you know, you just can't afford to, especially in the first quarter. Like, 
I would I'd maybe understand more if it was like you know early in the second quarter, like end of the third quarter, just giving Holiday a blow or something. But um, you know, you can't you can't allow the Suns to possibly get out to another double digit lead in that first quarter just because you're playing T. If you have theoretically seven minutes that you have to burn with somebody doesn't it make more sense for that to go to Bryn Forbes like is the step down defensively from Teague to Forbes that dramatic to me it doesn't seem like it could get much lower yeah that's a good that's a good point like you know they are just running right through Teague and they would do the same to Forbes and at least Forbes they would have to respect his shot on the other end so I mean I I totally like that's what I would be doing like if if I just was like I have to find a way to give an eighth guy some minutes. I would just go with Forbes because at least he's not as a total zero on one end. Um, right. Whereas Teague is a total zero on both ends. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Right. And I mean, Forbes, I actually, I love when he's out there because it turns, he's always operating like there's three seconds left on the shot clock. Like when he gets the ball, it's either like I'm firing it up or I'm like scrambling around and frantically looking for a way to get it up. Like they've clearly ingrained in him. Like when you touch the ball, it has to go up. And for a lot of these playoffs, they've needed somebody like that. And, and obviously the shooting hasn't been super consistent. He, he looked a little, a little jumpy. I thought in those first two finals games, like a couple, a couple shots that went like way long or way right. So I get why they're not playing him, but if you have to burn those minutes, I would rather them go to somebody who in theory could go three for three from three over the course of a four minute span. And Jeff Teague, other than that one stretch against Atlanta where he briefly redeemed himself, um, just this has been a, a glaring negative for Milwaukee. I want to look at finals MVP odds right now, which on the draft on the DraftKings Sportsbook, as you'd expect, heavily favor Giannis Antetokounmpo, minus 400. Booker, 6-1. to one, Chris Paul, plus 675. Middleton, 30-1. to one, Holiday, 70-1. to one, And then you can get DeAndre Ayton at 200-1. to one. Um, obviously, you know, a, a player from the winning team is going to get it. I, there's, there's a, a, a great reason why Giannis is the heavy favorite. The question I want to pose to you is what would have to happen tonight for Chris Middleton to have a legitimate chance to steal that away from Giannis? <laughs> um, uh, so we're assuming, we're assuming the Bucks win tonight and Middleton wins the MVP. So how would that happen? Right. Um, Man, uh, you know, maybe, maybe like Giannis gets injured and doesn't play the second half and Middleton goes for like 50. Um, I, I just, it would have to be something like that to me. Like if, if Giannis is healthy the whole game and Middleton scores under 45 points, I just don't see how Giannis doesn't get it if they win. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I, I would think it's almost even more like I'd say Middleton's best chance of winning finals MVP would be if, like, Giannis got hurt in this game and then the Bucks won game seven anyway. Like, yeah, I don't I just it's it's a long shot. I think those odds are, are right. I see to me, I, I don't think it's I, I think Giannis is the firm favorite. I don't think it should be this drastic, like 30 to one. It is crazy. Plus 3,000 versus minus 400. And, and the reason I brought this up is I'm sure you saw, uh, I think it was after the last game, CJ McCollum you know, tweeted something about like how many votes does Middleton get because of how clutch he's been. And again, I, I if the series plays out as it has been and you know Milwaukee wins tonight, let's say, with a game that looks similar to the last couple, every, you know, even if both Giannis and Middleton play well, Giannis obviously wins finals MVP probably unanimously. I'd say like, what if Giannis goes for like 32, 10, and four, but Middleton has like 30 and eight and he hits like two clutch shots down the stretch. Like how do you weigh like clutchness late versus just the steadiness that Giannis has brought? Um, I mean, I, I just think uh, Middleton is doing what he's being asked to do extremely well, but Giannis is doing so much more. And I think you also just have to think, I mean, we're talking about betting purposes, right? So we have to factor in like how the voters are going to be thinking. Yep. And it's just really far fetched. I mean, this is, 
like Chris Middleton's been like snubbed on like all NBA teams and all star teams and stuff. Like it's just really far fetched for me to imagine all of a sudden the media being like Chris Middleton, like he's our guy, not Giannis. Like I think, um, you know, the media is capable of doing some really crazy stuff with that award, like uh, like Iguodala winning it. I think it was like a huge mistake uh, back in the day, but um, I mean, well, hold on. Would, would you have is, given it? Would you have given it to Curry, or would you have given it to LeBron in a loss? I would have given it to Curry. Okay. Um, I mean, Iguodala was getting wide open threes because they were double teaming Curry. Um, but I, I think the media just adores Giannis, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> obviously they all will say like, "Oh, well, he should be a better free throw shooter. He shouldn't take those threes. But like just in terms of how hard he works and how sort of genuine he is and everything like right. that, like the media absolutely adore him. I mean, the Diego Dalla thing is an exception because I think people look back and it's like, oh, Curry sucked in those finals. Like, yeah, he sucked relative to like peak Stephen Curry. He was still insane and really good and great enough for them to win that series, I think, in six games. So, no, I'm with you. It probably should have gone to Curry in retrospect. But, you know, more often than not, it, it takes something spectacular from – you know, the, the, the non best player on the team for it to not go to the superstar, you know, like the, the superstar, it's basically when the finals start, it's the superstar on each team's finals MVP to lose. They have to like play their way out of it or someone else has to do something insane. And more often than not, that hasn't happened. Like uh, one good comparison I saw on Twitter yesterday to this Giannis Middleton debate was like, the, nobody was asking for Kyrie Irving to get finals MVP in 2016, right? Like despite the fact that he basically hit the game winner in game yeah. seven and had a 40 point game earlier in the series. Like as great as he was, everybody knew like they're not getting here without LeBron. And it, it kind of feels that same way with the bucks. And, and Giannis has like two of the most memorable, like finals highlights right. of the past decade already in this series. I mean, yeah. like whenever they're showing like clips of this series, like the first two clips they're going to show yeah. are going to be Giannis clips, not Chris Middleton right. clips. Yeah, the last thing I'll say on this is I, I think Middleton's only chance, assuming Giannis doesn't get hurt, like that would, I mean, that would obviously change everything. But is if like if he hits like a legitimate buzzer beater to win the game, because then then you know you're taking the Finals MVP vote right after the game, and you know you're, you're dealing with a small pool of people who are voting on this. And if Chris Middleton just drained a 35 foot three at the buzzer to win, uh, I, I think that could color people's opinions. But no, I, I think overall, if you're betting, it's not worth throwing anything at, at anybody but Giannis, and you're not getting great odds. You know, minus 400. Um, you know, I would I would maybe wait see if they lose Game Six, and then if you like the Bucks to win Game Seven, you know maybe that number comes down a little bit. Do you have anything else on this game or this series before we move to the draft? Um, just shout shouts to Bobby Portis for being oh, yes. uh, one of the more fun like role players to root on in in my lifetime. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just. It's been a blast. I told you we had the the Bobby chance going at at LJ's the other day, and I mean, I'm <laughs> sure like the the home crowd is gonna serenade Bobby Portis tonight, yeah. uh, time and time again. So that that'll yep. be fun to watch. Where where does he rank quickly on in our lifetime, like Bucks role players? Because there's <laughs> there's been a few. Because like for a while the Bucks were so bad that like those were the type of players that fans were gravitating toward. You know, I'm thinking like Johnny O'Brien, Samuel D'Alembert. Um, I mean even Christian Wood. For a little bit there, these last few years, he was like he was a darling when he was down with the herd in the G League. I think Zaza Pachulia filled that role for a while, um, but it it does feel like given how well he's played at times and th with the stakes as high as they are, he's pretty quickly vaulted toward the top of that list. Yeah, I mean, in the end, nobody really cares about role players on like 44 win teams. So right. like if if this team goes all the way, I think he's got to be number one. Uh, I mean, I, I just it's not a the, the guy. A lot of the guys you mentioned, like people were kind of like ironically cheering those guys on. Like, I mean, yeah. Bobby Portis. Like, I know he's not perfect, and he's he's certainly not a great defender, but he's been he's been huge for them. And I mean, I, you know, Pat's right up there too. I mean, Pat's yeah. been um, excellent too. I mean, Pat Pat's had a better series than yeah. Bobby Portis, uh, but. Um, it's kind of more fun to chant Bobby than it is to chant Pat. Yeah, not a, not a great chant name at all. His parents should have should have foreseen that. <laughs> Bobby Portis is like the John Kuhn of the Bucks, I think. And obviously Kuhn had a longer run to develop that, but a guy who is relevant enough to like play an, an integral role, but not relevant enough that he's like making or breaking every game. I just wanna I just wanna know if he's gonna come back on like 
a super cheap deal just because of how big of a fan favorite he is there. I think, yeah, they should have a contract drafted up. So, like, if they win tonight, like, just have it sit, have it waiting at his locker and he'll just, like, blindly sign it. Absolutely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk NBA draft. The draft is just over a week away. It has snuck up on us once again, uh, but it is set for Thursday, July 29th. It will be live in Brooklyn um, just got the media credential email the other night and I was like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we could go out to Brooklyn for this. And it's going to be, I think, pretty restrictive, um, in, in terms of how they allow access. So at least for the TV product, it should look closer to what we've seen or what we're more used to, uh, from a modern NBA draft. I thought last year's was fine. Um, but, but obviously with, with the pandemic, you know, things changed quite a bit. Uh, I'm looking at draft odds right now on the DraftKings Sportsbook. And I, I know you feel really strongly about this one, James. We'll start off. Trey Mann, over under the 23rd and a half pick. <laughs> Trey who? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, pass. No, let's start at the top. Let's start at the top. I, I know we're both still in the process of digging into, you know, the 15 to 30 type of prospects. But I, I think we feel pretty good evaluating, you know, the top 10 and and the lottery guys. I, I don't want to have a huge like Cunningham versus Mobley versus Green versus Suggs debate, um, but it is really interesting because as always, and I, I feel like we predicted this weeks ago and, and a lot of people did, there's always that number one guy. Oh, it's got to be this guy, number one. And, and with a few exceptions, sometimes it is wire to wire. Like nobody was ever suggesting that LeBron shouldn't go number one. But here we are now, you know, a, a little over a week before the draft. And there's a report that, you know, maybe Detroit isn't fully set on Kate Cunningham and, and maybe... Jalen Green would be the guy, or, or maybe Houston would try to move up to take him, and, and Detroit would be fine with with Evan Mobley or Green or Suggs. How how secure are are you in your evaluation of, of Cade Cunningham as the number one guy? Oh, I'm not not secure at all. I I think it's it's a tier. Um, it's either a tier of two or a tier of three uh, between Cunningham, Green, and Mobley. I think. I think for me, it's it's probably a tier of Cunningham and Green, and I think there's very viable cases for Green over Cunningham. Uh, really, like the the number one thing Cunningham has that Green doesn't have is just that really elite size uh, to to shoot over shoot over guys to to make passes and reads and stuff that that uh, only guys like 
Doncic and LeBron can make because of how tall they are. And uh, he's got the like, I don't think he's going to be a, like, I don't think either of these guys are going to be plus defenders. Um, like, I, I don't think Cunningham or Green's ever going to make any all NBA or all defense teams. And I think they're always going to be slightly dinged for their defense when we're talking about like all NBA and stuff, but mm-hmm. Cunningham, at least at his size, you know, he could be kind of like a Luka Doncic defensively where like, he's just, he's too big to be like a massive target out there. Um, whereas I think green is going to, he's going to work hard on that end, but he, he's just, he's always going to be, you know, a guy that big threes can, can really beat up on, on a switch and stuff like that. So, um, I think that the size is the big thing in Cunningham's favor. Um, the ball, I mean, the ball handling, maybe you give the edge to Cunningham there. Uh, I just, he, he turned the ball over so much. Like, I don't think this is some like wizard passer. Like he's not right. going to come in and, and be like a 10 assist guy, uh, at least not while being efficient and not turning it over. Um, and I think green, green is just, he's light years ahead as an athlete. I actually think green might end up being the better shooter of the two. Um, yeah. I, so, Cunningham's shooting numbers were good. I, I, I never loved the release. Yeah. I mean, he, I also, and you also just, you compare the competition they were going against, like green yeah. was going up against vastly superior competition and, he was definitely in a position. He had a better team context to succeed. You know, he he had, um, yeah, it was more of like an NBA style offense, and Cunningham's teammates weren't good and everything like that. But I I don't think it's cut and dry at all. I I know that <clears throat> um, Cunningham is definitely by far the favorite to go number one. I think it would take a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of guts to pass on him just given the fact that a lot of people think he is number one and that size like it's just it's tough to pass up on a guy that's that big and, and that can shoot and everything but uh, I think Green is absolutely in that class some of your concerns with Cunningham I, I think are the same as mine and you know we're, we're not trying to disparage the guy who's almost certainly going to go number one I, I think he I, I think his floor is the highest and it seems like that's a big part of the reason you know why why Detroit probably hangs on to that pick and and, and takes them there because there's I, I think there's a chance that like if everybody in this draft reaches their ultimate peak I think Green's probably the better player and I, I think there's even a case for for Mobley if he reaches his like peak peak that he could be the better player but I, I think Cunningham has a higher floor and you know at worst you're getting a guy who's you know a really really solid like borderline all-star type of player but but you you hit on it with the passing like if their if, if their plan is to basically bring this guy in and try to have him operate in that like James Harden, Luka Doncic type of role. Like that really only works if you are a world-class playmaker and you, you can get away with being like a, a good, not great shooter. I mean, Luka, I, I think Luka is a much worse three-point shooter percentage wise than his reputation would imply. But if you're not a world-class setter upper for lack of a better term for getting everybody involved, that style is not going to work. And and I, I think Kate Cunningham could develop into that, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, I feel like I haven't quite seen enough in college and it was a tough evaluation given all the circumstances, but I, I think you're putting a lot on, on this guy's shoulders. And I, I just, I, I don't, I need to see it, I guess, in the NBA, you know, I need to see him prove that he's capable of being more of a distributor than a scorer or a rebounder or a defender. Like that's what I'm most worried about with him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that aspect is, you know, Luca, I think is maybe underrated as a passer everyone knows oh, he's yeah. like a top five passer in the league but like he, you can't you can't double him at all mm-hmm. and like that it's it's a worse move even when he's just cooking like totally like in that that clipper series it's a worse move to double him than it is to play him straight up because they're more likely to score off of his pass out of a double um and cunningham like my other reservation with him is just athletically like he's just not, you know, he's below like all six of the guys, the six guys that are on top of every board, Cunningham's the worst athlete of the six. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, I keep coming back to that. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of weird and not, not something you usually see where the, the guy is the worst athlete of the, 
top six guys is the clear favorite to go number one. But um, I mean, I don't, I I do think athleticism can be overrated if you're good at the things that Cunningham's good at. Um, But, and and you're as big as he is like, you know, obviously it would be a huge issue if he was like six, four, but um, you know, I think there's, he, I, I think you're right. He does have the highest floor. Uh, but I don't, I actually don't even think he has the, I think green actually might have the green or green or Mobley might have a higher ceiling than Cunningham, to be honest. Right. And the athleticism is the kind of the swing trait where if you are super athletic and you have the other skills that he has, then that raises your ceiling. And it's kind of one of the other, like with Luca, obviously he's not super athletic, but he does have that next, next level passing that offsets it. So if you're not going to be a great athlete, that's what you have to have to be a great player. Right. So I think there's a chance that Cunningham is like a better athlete than Luca, but not a great athlete, not as great of a passer as Luca, but a good passer. And ultimately that results in a, in a very good NBA player, but maybe not a like future top seven player in the league. And that's kind of the guy you're hoping to get that number one for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, you know, I think all, all three of the top two, top three teams in the draft are going to be very happy and they're not, you know, they're, they're not going to get a bust or anything like that. I think right. it kind of opens up after that, but, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's interesting to hear some people think like it's Kate Cunningham, no question. Some people think like Evan Mobley is the one who you could make a case for at one. Um, I, I think it's green would be the guy that you'd make a case for. Um, but, I mean, it's just it's going to be really fun uh, mm-hmm. to see this draft unfold. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's throw Jalen Suggs into this mix as well. Which of those four do you have the most reservations about? Because, like, I, I'll tell you right now, all four of these guys are not going to develop into all NBA players. Like, at least one of the four is not going to be as good <laughs> as we think they are. Like, statistically, that's just how it works out. There's no draft where the top four guys are all excellent. Which of those four, five years down the road, could you see yourself looking back and saying, I, I wish I would have seen some of the signs that maybe there were some more red flags there. Yeah. I don't see all NBA upside with subs. I think he, I think he's going to be one of those guys who makes like three or four all-star teams, but never makes all NBA. Um, so like kind of never a top three or four point guard or shoot whatever he ends up being. Like, I think he's more kind of that next tier down where, like, he'll he'll get, like, you know, his rookie extension, like, he might get the max or he might get, like, the Jalen the Jalen Brown, like, just a step below the max. Um, but I don't, I don't think Suggs has that type of upset. I think you're just – you're drafting your, you know, a long – like, he's going to be a 10-plus year starter in the NBA. But I just I don't think he's ever going to reach those types of heights. Yeah, I think that's fair. I actually I really, really like him a lot. I, I think I'm probably a little bit higher on him than you. But yeah, I don't, I don't think he has that same type of upside as those top three guys, specifically Green uh, and, and, and Cunningham as well. I, I'm looking at the comps on the ringer for Jalen Suggs. I, I think these are all pretty spot on. I almost feel like he's like a complete mix of these three. I got to hand it to him. Brandon Roy, Chauncey Billups, Jamal Murray. I don't really see Murray, but I see the I see I see the other ones for sure. Uh, Chauncey Billups is a good one. Yeah, and that's I think that's exactly like the tier of player that you described, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, he he's gonna be like he's gonna have some great moments. Like if he can, whatever team he ends up on, if you know if he can end up playing in some postseason games, like he's gonna he's gonna have some really memorable moments. Like he's a big time playmaker on both sides of the ball. Uh, but if he's like, I'm kind of picturing him being like a 35% three point shooter on some difficult attempts with, you know, I, I don't see him as like a eight assist type of guy. Like maybe he's like a 22 and six and four type of guy or something like that, which is, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I just, I think he's, He's not elite at anything that leads to you becoming like that franchise player. And he's, he's good at a lot of the stuff that the other guys aren't good at. Like he, he's a really good defender. Um, 
you know, that actually might be if he, if he were to make an all NBA team, I think it would be because he's viewed as this like, you know, Drew Holiday caliber defensive guard or something like that. And that, mm-hmm. that maybe pushes him up. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I think he's really good, but it's I think there is a bit of a step down there from three to four. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I think if it's the Raptors at four who land Suggs, that is such a perfect fit that I, I I feel like that almost like raises his ceiling a little bit in some ways. Like that, I think he would just hit the ground running there, and that would just be such a perfect marriage. Where do you come in on the suddenly fairly heated Scotty Barnes versus Jonathan Kaminga debate for the number five spot? Uh, I I'm Kaminga all the way. Um, I. You know, I think if you, if you if you interview both of them, I could see how it would be a lot closer, and maybe you could talk yourself into Barnes. But um, <laughs> just just based on everything that we can see, like on the court, and when you factor in like the context and everything like that, um, I just have I have much more faith in Kaminga becoming a good enough shooter to be like a two-way stud. Like, I, I think there's, there is some all-star upside with Jonathan Kaminga. Like, and there's, like, he could develop into just a total two-way stud if, if the jump shot comes around. Um, I think it, like, it looks, it looks clean and everything. Um, and he takes, he takes threes, like, you know, like he, like he means it. Um, whereas Barnes, like, I just, I don't see any, like you could just blindly say, well, maybe he's going to improve as a shooter uh, because maybe. sometimes guys, sometimes guys improve as a shooter. But I don't think there's anything you can point to that would be like, well, this is why he's going to improve as a shooter. Like whether yeah. you're just analyzing his shooting mechanics or whether you're looking at his uh, percentages from from the Florida State. Like I just I think he's always he's always going to be a guy that you just refuse to guard from beyond the arc in playoff games and. And there's only so much value you can get from a guy like that. Um, like, he's not a Ben Simmons type of guy where, I mean, Ben Simmons is, like, the first player ever that's been a Ben Simmons type of guy who just, who just refuses to to shoot. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be a Draymond Green type of guy either. Like, I think he's just going to be, um, you know, someone who helps uh, do a lot of stuff that, you you don't get a ton of credit for like I think he'll be a good defender. He can guard a bunch of positions. You know he's a really good passer. Um, but I just shooting is so important, and I think Kaminga is just such a better bet to be uh, like a 34, 35 percent shooter from three. Mm-hmm. That I think it's it's Kaminga for me. I almost feel like it's not a good thing that Barnes is being compared to Draymond. Like that's just such an impossible comp to live up to like I, I don't know that we'll ever see another no. Draymond Green like a guy who's able to offset his glaring weaknesses with like this otherworldly defense and that, and that like body it's, it's just if, if that's the guy you're trying to match I just feel like that's such a hard goal to achieve and I don't I don't think there's ever been a guy wired like Draymond um and all, like physically like like his wingspan is just so ridiculous and his um everything about his sort of intelligence and instincts yep. and competitiveness like it's just such a rare uh set of of tools and yeah he every year like i hear people say oh, we shouldn't compare people people to draymond green but every year people get compared to draymond green and it's usually it's usually because they can't shoot <laughs> and scotty right. Barnes can't shoot and i don't think it's smart to yeah. hope that he's Green. It's the same argument I, I made with Cunningham and Doncic, where it's like, oh, he's he, he's a good passer, but he's not athletic. Luka Doncic. It's like, no, man. Like, that's like the top 0.1% is how that uh, turns out. Also, also, like, even with all the nice things I just said about Draymond Green, like, if Draymond Green got drafted by the Hornets or something, oh yeah, like, he would never be thought of as anywhere near this type of player. Like, it, it's only because he got to play with two and three of the best shooters in the history of the game that his um, foibles did not like cost his team uh, wins in the playoffs. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if he was just playing on a normal team, 
all the stuff he's so good at. And or or just even if he never got to play with Steph Curry. Like Steph Curry right. unlocks Draymond. Draymond is great at playing with Steph Curry, but Steph Curry allows Draymond's weaknesses to not matter that much. All right. So now I have to ask you this because because we brought this up. I was asked on a show this morning, um, and this is like the biggest recency bias question of all time, given players involved. Uh, the question was basically who's better, Chris Middleton or Clay Thompson? Better when? Just who's the better player? Like who like who's better? That, that's how it was phrased to me. And one of these guys has not played in two years. One of them is coming off of one of his best games ever. So keep that in mind. Um, I mean, I think. Like, I think Chris Middleton is better is like, I think next year, Chris Middleton will be better than Clay Thompson. But I think Pete Clay Thompson is way better than this version of Chris Middleton. I, I agree. We, I, I think my answer was, I think they would both be worse off in the other situation. Like I think Clay is better for the situation he's been in. And I think Middleton's better for the situation he's been in, but we also have never seen Clay with his own team. Like there's a chance that that could, that he could take his game to a new level. And I, I think given his age and given the injuries, we're probably never going to get an answer to that question, but I, I'm willing to believe that it's, it's certainly possible. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know how to answer. It just depends whether you, are you asking like for this version, like what we expect Clay Thompson to be, like going forward versus this version of Middleton? No, I, I think like, I think I would think of it as if you were making, if you were sitting down to rank like your hundred greatest players ever, who, which of those guys oh, would you lose first? Yeah. Clay, Clay. I mean, okay. Clay, uh, Clay was a guy who could guard two through four, one through four, maybe even, um, and do it at a better, uh, he, he was a better defender for like five or six years than the best defensive version of Chris Middleton's ever been. And Clay, like, is probably the second best shooter of all time. Um, maybe the best catch and shoot shooter of all time. Um, yeah. Like, Middleton is, I think, was incredibly underrated coming into these playoffs and may, maybe he'll end up being overrated after these playoffs. But, um, like Clay, I, I just think he's so good at like if you can guard one through four and you're one of the best two shooters of all time, like you're basically awesome at everything you want a second best player on a team to be awesome at. And um, Middleton, I think Middleton's really lucky that they ran into the Suns team because. Like if Middleton had to guard a healthy LeBron or a healthy Kawhi in any of these games, like he would just be getting abused. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Pete Clay could guard those guys. Yeah, and and this goes back to the notion too that everything can flip so quickly in the series. Like after two games, everybody was so down on Middleton, so down on the Bucks. A week later, everything's completely changed. If if Middleton has a bad game tonight, and we're heading back to a Game Seven in Phoenix where the Suns are going to be favored then Middleton maybe goes back to being underrated. Like, it's, it's just amazing how, how dramatically that could swing game to game. And the, All right. the, biggest, the biggest example of that is just, like, how close this Bucks team was to losing that Nets series. Yeah. Like, you know, like, if, if, uh, if they lost that Nets series, then the amount of heat on Giannis this offseason – and like Bud's been fired weeks ago and Giannis is like, there's going to be talks about him as just the most overrated player in the game, basically. And they were so close to losing that series. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, now he's on the Pantheon. <laughs> now, now he's in the Pantheon. Yeah. All right. Uh, at least one more draft item I want to get to here. Um, James Book Knight versus Davion Mitchell. If you're taking one of those guys, let's say you're, you're picking at like eight, nine, seven, somewhere in that range. Um, and you're in need of a guard, which way do you lean? Uh, I'll take Mitchell. Um, you know, I think it's debatable whether either guy will ever be a guy that you feel good about as your starter. Uh, but I think, you know, the big question with Mitchell is just how real was his shooting last year? Um, 
you know, I, I think he could be, you know, if he can just be like a 33, 34% three point shooter, I think he could be a really good two way player because of his defense. Um, and his, he's a superior athlete, I think. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's close for sure. I think book Knight's got a better offensive skill set for sure. Uh, but I, I would go with Mitchell. I'm a little worried that Mitchell, he, he, I mean, he's listed at 6'2". He, he checks in at exactly six feet, and that's without shoes, I believe. So keep that in mind. But I, I, I felt like he looked a little bigger. I don't know, like six, six foot for a guy who, you know, really isn't a point guard necessarily. I mean, he's, he's just kind of this, you know, more defensive focused guard who also, you know, shot a high percentage last year was uh, at 45% from three. But you also consider the previous year, he's at 32% from three. Back at Auburn, his first year there, he's at 28% from three. So somewhat of a flash in the pan just from a shooting perspective. I, I feel like that combined with the lack of size is a little concerning for me. At the same time, it's not like Book Knight is built like LeBron James here. I mean, he's, what, 6'3", like 180, 190. I mean, pretty thin. Um, I, I almost feel like he he just has the classic look of like this microwave six-man type of guy, which I guess if you're getting that at seven, it's not the end of the world. But I... I, I don't know. Like, do you think Book Knight has, like, I'm trying to think of a, I was going to say Brad Beal. That's probably a little too high. Um, I don't know. Could he be like a like a CJ McCollum type? Like, does he have that kind of upside to you? Uh, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, CJ is such a good scorer. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so. But, I, I mean, I think he could be. I think he could be like a a low end starting shooting guard, and it, shooting guard's a pretty shallow position. So like, right. you know, if you're just getting if you're getting a guy who can shoot well enough and can you know maybe kind of guard both guard spots, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's a great player to get in the late lottery of this draft. What if you throw Corey Kispert into that? debate obviously he's more of a wing but you know kind of the same type of your offensive first shooter um and it should be noted book Knight was like a 30 percent shooter this past year so it's not like he's a, a knockdown yeah. catch and shoot guy necessarily a lot of those looks were difficult off the dribble um you know so maybe that percentage comes up but i mean, how do you value a player like that versus kispert who's just kind of this classic catch and shoot you know like ideally at his peak he's giving you like 43 44 percent from three I think Kispert is the guy. Um, like I think Kispert is maybe the like fifth safest player in this entire draft uh, after Cunningham, Green, Mobley, and Suggs. Like I think Kispert is the best bet to just have a really long NBA career. And um, the fact that he's this lethal of a shooter but also has that size where you could put him on small forwards. Like you're not, you don't have to ask him to stick with like Donovan Mitchell or anything like that. Right. Like you can just, you can basically just put him on the other team's worst wing and you know, he, he won't be great, but he, he's not going to get destroyed and he fits on every team. Like you're not, you're not taking touches away from anyone else and you just, you plug him in he gets, 26 28 30 minutes and mm. helps you stretch the floor i just i think that that's like this is the type of player like duncan robinson's gonna get a ton of money in free agency and like you you're basically getting that player here and, and you might be able to get him in the late lottery i think he's a little more versatile than robinson i mean robinson i, I think is an inch or two taller but i mean i'm not saying kispert's a great athlete but he's he's definitely a little more mobile a little more lively than Duncan Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was mostly just sort of, yeah. I know they're they're definitely different. It's just like when you when you look at how much Duncan Robinson's going to get paid, you look at how much um, some of the great shooters to hit the market in their prime, like a Davis Bertans. Like, you know, these guys get close to twenty million. Like I, Duncan Robinson's going to get over fifteen million a year, and I think Kispert's going to get are going to be somewhat yeah. similar in terms of just value added and um you know you get him on the the rookie scale contract like 
I don't know who's going to get him, but like if he were to end up on a team with some serious playoff aspirations, like he could be ready to help as early as next year. Yeah, almost the lower he falls, almost the better for him. I feel like because it's, oh, that's yeah. not a, that's totally. not a guy that you want to throw on like the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. That that's a guy who, like you said, could can step in and be somewhere between the fourth and seventh man for for a lot of good teams. Uh, but we'll keep digging into the draft over this next week. We'll be back next week, do a little bit more of a deep dive. Um, you know, at least throw a lottery mock out there before the draft on Thursday. Um, but a huge day ahead in Wisconsin sports. The Brewers, their game's been moved up. They now play this afternoon. Uh, and then obviously the Bucks game tonight. So James, appreciate you taking the time to join. Uh, whatever you end up doing for the game, I hope you enjoy it. Hope you're not too nervous, but should be a fun one. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Go Bucks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.